I'm Steve, alcoholic. And uh, I'm sorry it's come to this. Yeah, this is a magical place for me. I haven't been in town for seven months, and uh, you know, but I always have a home. You know, uh, I don't even know if this place will be here next year, but regardless, this will always be my home, and I always feel safe here. This place saved my life. If I were uh, had a, had a heart attack and ended up in the emergency room and survived with the help of a doctor and nurses, I wouldn't be able to go back to that emergency room and thank those people. But I get to come back here every day. I get to thank people in my emergency room. And then I get to be part of the staff and help people that come in, you know, in pain. Because this is where we comfort the disturbed and disturb the comfortable. (laughs) And uh, it is cosmic and comfy here. That's why I'm a member of Bolden. And I'll always be a member. Uh, I think even if I went and drank, you know, I'd still feel like I was a member here. And uh, the group conscious here is special uh, because it's a special place. It's been here a long time. The vibe is great. And, uh, you know, our group conscious doesn't consist of just elder statesmen and elder, elder states women. It consists of somebody that came in here for a cup of coffee this, that was unhoused on the street and needed to get warm. Maybe they spent the night here against our wishes. <laughs> Maybe they broke a window or two, but you know what? What's, what is a window compared to a soul? And, uh, you know, I felt that, you know, I didn't know that when I came in here, but eventually I got to know that. And uh, group conscious is more important than anybody in here. I'm beyond human aid, and so I need a, need a group with a good group conscience, and I need everybody, including myself, to take part in that and to protect that kind of goodness here because more than anything AA for me is a place of original good it thinks the best of me and not the worst of me and I always think of you know in an evening meeting what this could have been like if this were my dinner table every night with growing up if I would have been able to sit there safely and talk about how I was doing and not get cross-talked or criticized um, here I can do that. I don't even get cross-talked when people are rooting for me, which is also nice. Because I get to grow into who I am, because I didn't know who I was when I was came in. I was ostensibly a one-eyed jack. I had uh, one eye over here looking at you, and I had three or four going the other way. And I was a very disjointed person. My head and my heart and my soul we're not communicating, and they hadn't for years, and uh, been com- become petrified wood internally, and numb to the world, sour, disputing the state of things, including myself, and I needed uh, assurance, really, uh, to get through the day, and I was happy to drink as much as I could. Um, I wanted to drink as much as I could, live a horrible life and I wanted to die a horrible death. That was a better choice than reality and uh, it was an affirmation of of the way I wanted to live. I was being true to myself 
because I was an alcoholic, why, why would I not drink? Um, if I had a problem, uh, it meant that I wasn't drinking enough. Um, and so I just never ever even tried to stop drinking. Um, I, I remember, um, I guess one of the things I've always loved here particularly is, and in the A's it's not magisterial, um, we are we are in charge ourselves, and that's a little bit scary. Um, I remember sitting here. I had talked to my girlfriend, who is a member of Bolden, and somebody had mentioned they had asked her to chair in her first meeting here, and, and we were talking about that and how terrifying that is. And I am a recovering shy person, and uh, there's so many secondary benefits to getting sober. And one of those for me was I learned how to express myself learned how to get words past my teeth in AA. And I knew I could do that safely here. And uh, the no crosstalk thing helped a lot with that. So I remember I agreed to do my first uh, chairing of a meeting and sitting in this chair at a 5.30 meeting. There's a man over here that's since moved to El Paso and he kind of wedged me in here and uh, I chaired the meeting kind of nervously. And I, I, uh, I had asked him before the meeting, you know, uh, what happens if I have a heart attack at the bottom of the hour? And he said, well, we're going to call an ambulance. They're going to take you to the hospital and we'll finish the meeting. <laughs> and that was really comforting to me uh, because, of course, I still had, like, a magnifying mind and uh, thought that, like, it was just so much... Uh, so much and it was part of my shyness but I'm, I've recovered really from being shy and I'm so grateful to AA for that um, um, I remember my first meeting here I was sitting right right there as a Wednesday night and I'd been I'd been sober 85 days and I went with somebody a friend of mine that was sober and I don't remember much of the meeting but I remember it was about this many people here and there's a certain buzz in here and uh, energy that I wasn't used to. It was a sober energy. And uh, I went to that meeting, wanted to make sure AA was the wrong place to be. I wanted to make sure I'd gone once so I could leave and then tell my friends that, that I tried AA and I never needed to go back. And uh, I, uh, I, for some reason, uh, liked it. I don't remember why. Um, but I think something happened because that was uh, probably the greatest day of my life. Uh, even though, <clears throat> excuse me, I didn't, I didn't know that at the time. And uh, I went the next day at noon, which was used to be a gratitude meeting here every Thursday. I hadn't, I hadn't really heard much of that word in, in decades. And I uh, started to learn about gratitude at that meeting. And then, um, then probably went to a meeting, I've been in a meeting every day since, maybe, I would say, and that's 11 years. But um, I've never been bored at a meeting. Um, I work in comedy, or I used to. <laughs> and, uh, you know, AA, this room has the best movies in the world. Has uh, tragedies, has mysteries, has thrillers, um, has uh, biopics. <laughs> and of course it has romantic comedies 
So, uh, just like Ann Richards said, it's better than TV. I remember even early on in sobriety, I used to love going to movies in the afternoon. I just stopped going to movies. I would just, it would be the choice. Do I go to Bolden or do I go to a movie? <laughs> it was so simple. I knew I could expect interesting things here. Humor, love, laughter, pain, despair, uh, tragedy. I could, I could start to see life the way it really was. And then if I went to a movie, I knew that would be manufactured, and I, I would probably end up being disappointed. And so I started to live in reality and see that reality is more interesting than, than fiction. And drinking for me was a fiction. It's a long fictional <laughs> tale uh, that um, really had no point. It's like a book I would write and, and uh, open the book after I've written it, and there's nothing on the pages. That was drinking for me. Um, but when I came in, I was dying. I was broke, and I, I had already lost my mind. Um, I had gone to a rehab in um, Kerrville and been there for 30 days and started to see some of the benefits of not drinking. I remember like food tasted better and I started to sleep better. <laughs> I had tasted food properly in, in years and I hadn't slept well for years. In the rehab, uh, much like if you're new in sobriety, it's a little bit of a tumble getting sober. I had night sweats for about four months. Um, I had nightmares for two years and um, and that was okay, really. I thought it was uh, it was kind of like penance for what I'd done. <laughs> and uh, um, the nightmares were interesting. I still have those occasionally, but I thought my brain was probably reorganizing, and my whole soul was somehow peeking behind its veil and saying, "You know, finally stop drinking. Maybe we could have a conversation." But um, I remember. I used to die a thousand times a day. I would die a thousand times a conversation and I would not sleep at night. I would die at sleep. I would just pass out and then come to and then try to get going the next day. And luckily now, obviously, I'm a sober person and uh, I'm recovered. I was looking up that word in the big book and it's mentioned, I think, 17 times or something with the past tense of recovered. Um, I believe it's okay to accept that I feel that way and that I am that way and that I'm a sober person and that I never ever want to drink again and I, yeah, I never want to leave AA. Um, it's okay to be profoundly happy. It's okay to be of service and I work hard at all of those things. Um, I did my suffering, hopefully, before I got here, and when I am suffering as a sober person, I work hard to figure out why. I don't do that unanimously by myself. Um, I talk to people, and I listen, and I am immensely helped by other people. I need all of you, and that definitely doesn't roll off my tongue very easily, uh, but uh, I do need you, and I've been lucky to always be curious. So for me, as much as anything, it's been an interesting journey. 
even though uh, the journey kind of ended here, and if you're new, you never have to leave. Mm -hmm. um, this is always home, like I said. And uh, what I found was uh, an internal journey home into myself. I was able to look inward. My head and my heart and my soul started communicating. I'd never been able to like speak off the cuff like I am now. I used to have to think so much about what I was gonna say. Does it make sense? What are you gonna think? What's it gonna mean? All those things. So in AA, I started to be able to, to live more loosely and uh, be happier and be able to express who I am because um, I think I was going to blow it, really. Um, the chance of being born a human being is one in four trillion. It's basically the odds of uh, a buoy being in the ocean in all the oceans in the world, just one. And then the odds of a turtle, if there are only one turtle in all the oceans, of poking its head through the buoy. That's a, ch a chance of being born a human. So I was, in a sense, I didn't know it, but I was not honoring that gift of being alive. And uh, so I can do that now. Um, and, and I guess I... My main goal became to live, uh, in, I remember we studied, I mean, I personally studied spirituality a lot, trying to figure out steps in two, two and three. And at some point I was like, why is everybody waiting to go to heaven? And uh, if uh, heaven exists, why wouldn't it just have been created here? And what am I waiting for? And so that's my, my life now, is I want to live in heaven now. Why wait? What's the point? I mean, what was created? Why was earth created to be a bus stop on the way to heaven? I don't think it was. But uh, so that's been helpful. Um, like I said, I have secret sponsors in the room, people who've come in and said one thing that's helped me, and I've never seen them again and there are always people that have uh, repeated things or just shown up and been quiet and those are my secret sponsors too i do i've had two sponsors and one of them is here tonight thankfully and uh, that was my first ever real relationship with another human being one that was healthy at least is my my that's how i learned to have healthy relationships it was ba those are based on care and love and concern and knowledge and not telling another person what to do. Um, it's not based on um, outside outdated mores or anything like that. And um, and so I've been honored to have a sponsor, and then um, and that in turn allowed me to to be a sponsor too. And it's been fun to to do that. Um, um, I guess early on in Sobrowitz, well, I'll try to tell how it was. drinking for me was, uh, was uh, just something I enjoyed all my life. I remember one story was I was in Africa working at, when I was 19 and I had a fungus on my arm. And, uh, and I went to the doctor there and he gave me a prescription for these pills and he said, you know, you can't drink for two weeks. I was like, okay. Okay, 
and I carried that bottle of pills for 20 years. <laughs> I never, I was not going to stop drinking for two weeks for, for a fungus on my arm. And, uh, and uh, that's the way I was. I was like, didn't even think a second about it. I never thought about, like, I was never ashamed of my drinking. I always tried to drink more, and I never saw an issue with it at all. Um, but uh, eventually I did stop drinking. Um, I guess I'll tell one story that somebody was interested in. I uh, remember it was like in 2007 and I was at my favorite bar. It was like two o'clock on a Saturday and I was already smashed and I got a call and it was a, or a text saying, Steve, do you want to go to the Playboy Mansion tonight? And I go, well, okay. <laughs> and uh, they go, well, do you have any pajamas? And I go, no. And I said, well, that's all you need. So I went to Banana Republic and uh, drunkenly bought and shopped for pajamas. And so I was set. I went back to the bar and uh, hung out. And then, uh, you know, like any kind of dream of an adolescent boy, I was headed to the Playboy Mansion. And, uh, and it was Hugh Heffer's 70th birthday, and I, he was sitting at, at the front table or something with three of his girlfriends, I guess. And uh, I went up to him. I remember I was always able to hold it together a little bit and said, act symbolically while I was drunk. So I went up to him and I shook his hand and said, you know, thank you for the party, for the invite, and happy birthday. And, you know, he never, he didn't know who I was. but. I went straight to the bar and I could not wait to get another drink because the drive over was 15 minutes. Um, and I got to the bar and I immediately got punched in the chest by somebody and then they yelled at me and said, stop staring at, your, at my girlfriend. I said, I'm not staring at, at your girlfriend, I'm trying to get a drink. And uh, even at the Playboy Mansion, with all the distractions, my main goal was to get drunk. And, uh, and I did get drunk. Uh, about an hour later, I got a tap on the shoulder, and they said, you have to leave. And uh, I said, OK. <laughs> I was great at exits. Uh, I knew not to that I would never win an argument about an exit, so uh, that would compromise my drinking if I got in trouble. And so I kind of almost, I kind of half-stepped, quick-stepped it out of there, and I found myself in the middle of Bel Air, wandering around the quiet streets there in my pajamas. Um, <laughs> but it was hard to get a cab around there. That was before uh, Uber, I guess. But I did, I did get a cab home. It was still like, 10.30, I went home, I got back into my regular clothes, and I went back to that same bar I'd been earlier. That's where I felt at home, and I was happy as could be. Um, I guess early on in sobriety, it helped to come here every day. I remember there's a man named Barry that sat in front of me, and he would always fold his, his pants on his leg when he was about to share. So I would always stare at his legs every, every, every meeting because I learned so much from him. And he would share, and he still comes here. And then I remember in September, he was gone. I was like, oh my God, where'd he go? Did he go out drinking? And no, he was a teacher, so he couldn't come here at noon anymore. 
Before that, I didn't really realize that everybody had jobs, and uh, you know, it's like uh, I was kind of brain dead. I had a lot of confusion, or uh, I had a lot of ammonia in my blood from drinking too much. Um, but about three months sober, I went to Las Vegas. I remember um, I was felt safe enough to go. I brought a bunch of snacks on the plane because the plane used to be a bar for me, and. Uh, <laughs> And I made it there, went to the concierge, and I said, you know, where, do you have a meeting? This was like 5 a.m. when I was awake, waking up. And he said, yeah, we he whipped out like a list of 20 pages of meetings in mm -hmm. Vegas, which is great. Every town like Austin that's a party town has tons of meetings. But I went to uh, the 7 a.m. meeting there. It's the one rule group. And uh, I was the last person at the meeting. I was maybe two minutes late. It was packed. And I remember I sat down right behind a, a post and uh, couldn't see anything. I had the worst seat in the house. But I could hear the share. And it was a speaker. And the topic was the first four words of the big book, War Fever Ran High. And uh, he went on to talk about having war fever about all kinds of things in his life and the fever of fighting always fighting things and arguing and protesting and it could be all, any kind of behavior like that and I, I was like well this doesn't have anything to do with me I'm kind of quiet and peaceful person and uh, and then you know I left that meeting no sorry throughout the meeting I did the AA thing that I just learned within the three months I said how does that apply to me though and I thought, kept thinking it doesn't apply to me and then I finally figured it out well, I have like Cold War fever. I'll, I'll go to war with you with silence and scorn and uh, triangulation and thinking without you knowing I'm thinking. I'll do a long game and I will fight everything that way with the facade of a placid facade of peaceful, you know, face or whatever. And so I remember leaving that meeting and saying to myself, I'm never going to leave AA because I just learned something about myself that I was completely blind to. And, um, and that's always been a helpful thing for me. Um, I did forget to mention that uh, I've never really talked about it too much, but when I, when I did stop drinking, it was April 20th, 2012. It was Willie's uh, when they were at 420, so they're unveiling the statue downtown. <laughs> And it was a beautiful day here. It was like crystalline light and spring day. And, uh, and I had gone down. I'd been at Guero's all day drinking. Then we took a car down there uh, to the unveiling and then drank more and more and more and then went to his concert. But I got embarrassed at the concert and almost arrested. And then I just went to uh, Dirty Bill's as and then had three beers, but those were my last three beers of my life. But um, I remember after that, I decided to take a break from drinking, and I didn't realize you were supposed to like taper off from alcohol. And uh, and, and so I started hallucinating, and and uh, my hallucination. Actually, I had a great hallucination, <laughs> but uh, I, uh, I ended up swimming around the world with manatees, <laughs> and I ended up in Hawaii swimming with them. I, uh, we would swim uh, up, each, uh, up every volcano on the islands and then down into them, 
and into the center of the earth and then come out another volcano on another island and then like super slide down those and that was me hanging out with a bunch of manatees <laughs> but um you know i never drank again after that trip and uh and uh and i know that somebody said i told that story to a friend and they said well that's kind of like you when i was like what do you mean and they said well you're kind of like a manatee you're kind of quiet and big and and you eat a Casa de Luz a lot and, uh, and that you also got some volcano in you with sometimes you get angry and that you're kind of creative and earthy like a volcano and you know I can think of that me that story can mean nothing to me but uh, especially if I started to drink again I would have forgotten it or it can mean a lot to me. It can mean that's, that's really a symbolic message to me through the universe somehow when I was uh, detoxing from alcohol. And why did I never drink again after that? And maybe it's because my soul it was talking to me somehow in a spiritual way that, could, that I am not used to. And so I'll never forget that story. Uh, my friend also gave me a knitted manatee that I have on my sink, and I like to look at that. Um, I guess uh, some other things that have helped me a lot in sobriety were, well, I remember it was a 10 a.m. meeting here on Saturday, which is a men's meeting, and there's a guy in the corner there standing the whole meeting. I'd never seen him before, and I've never seen him since. And he, and he said, you, you people... You young men, you need to get some sober habits and wear your sobriety like a loose jacket. And then he left. <laughs> I think he had a bad back or something, but um, I did not know really what he meant, but I kind of wanted to know. And uh, I liked the idea of wearing my sobriety like a loose jacket. That sounded okay. And it's been a good visual for me when I've been stressed out or something. And then sober habits, though, ended up helping me at least as much as the steps i i needed to have how to learn to live in the in the world again i did not know how to go to the grocery store sober i did not know how to drive sober i did not know how to date sober i did not know how to talk sober i did not know how to order food sober i didn't know how to do anything sober and so before i could do the steps how do i get through those first weeks and months you know, without drinking. And uh, I did ask a few people, they said, try to get to sleep, you know, at a regular hour. Food is helpful as a sober habit, eat, eat decently or have, and have sugar around. And then uh, just have a way of curating your day as a sober person so that you can build a sober life. And uh, I guess I ended up doing that. Um, one of the sober habits that I, start I did was to try to start doing things that I wasn't good at um, I, being sober taught me that I'd been so wrong about my perceptions about what I could and could not do and I had always learned that I couldn't had been told I wasn't a good swimmer and I wondered about that and uh, thought why is that and am I afraid of it myself am I responsible for that decision to not swim and so I decided to try to start swimming I went over to Deep Eddy, 
and I wasn't really swimming. I was walking laps. Uh, I was scared. And uh, one day a lady in a sleek swimmer's outfit with goggles and a mask and, and uh, she stopped me. She goes, what are you doing? And I go, I'm working out. I'm over there at Deep Eddy, man. Just chill. Leave me alone. <laughs> She goes, no, stop. What are you doing? She goes, why aren't you swimming? And I go, I, I'm a little bit afraid of the breathing thing. I don't know how to turn my head left and right. And um, she goes, just get a swimmer snorkel. And then I go, well, okay. And then I wanted to move away from her. And uh, she goes, well, wait, what else is the matter? And I go, I'm, I, I'm afraid I'll panic, you know, in swimming. I'm not buoyant. And uh, she said, well, uh, just stay in this lane, and if you feel that way, stand up. And so then I, I did get away from her. <laughs> but, you know, once again, the AA thing, I was very resentful at her bothering me and telling me what to do. But by the time I turned back around on the lap, I did the AA thing, and I saw where she was right. And um, but I was still angry at her. I wanted to get back at her. So I got to the end of the lap again. And I go, you know, what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, she said she was in training because she had chemotherapy mm. in uh, two weeks. And uh, I was just, you know, flabbergasted and, and said, it didn't say anything. And uh, I never saw her again. But, you know, <laughs> I look for her every day. And uh, I bought a swimmer snorkel the next day and uh, some fins. And, and uh, Deep Eddie's pool is 27 laps for a mile. <laughs> and once again, I did the AA thing, the AA thing of marginal gains, and I swam one lap that first day. The second day, I swam two laps. And the 27th day, I was reaching, you know, for the wall, and I was so excited. I had never, <clears throat> it was like my first 30 days of sobriety, but I had never swum a mile, and uh, not even close, but... Um, but I touched that wall, and uh, I did start crying underwater. And I, then I popped up, and I kept my goggles on, because goggles are good for crying <laughs> in public. But, uh, but then I uh, you know, I'd found something outside of even this room, uh, that the lessons in here and the principles here taught me to actually go try to do something out of here and build that life that I want to live, that I don't even know I want to live. And so for about eight years, I swam a mile a day, almost all of them at Deep Eddy. And it was helpful because, you know, there aren't that many al active alcoholics there at 7 a.m. or 8 a.m. <laughs> and so I got, I didn't really talk to many of the other swimmers, but, um, you know, I got to be around sober people and see how they behave. And, you know, some of them be there and they go to work or whatever. And it was also very uh, kind of meditative to, to swim. Just the colors and the lights and everything in the water. It helped me feel a part of Austin. And I'm eternally grateful to swimming and to that lady and to her, you know, her memory. Um... I was keeping notes. 
One thing I always uh, I want to say a quote that I've always had written down uh, is by the artist Marth, Mark Rothko. Uh, it said, "You've got sadness in you. I've got sadness in me." And my works of art are places where the two sadnesses can meet. And therefore, both of us need to feel less sad. And so for me, um, like an AA meeting is a place where I get to change my molecules. For me, my higher power is a, is a space between two alcoholics. And it can be in here, it can be anywhere. But it's in the room right now. My molecules have changed since I've been here. And it's, uh, it's a place where I get to change my life every day. I get to change and rewrite my obituary. I get to change my destiny. And uh, it's where my sadness meets your sadness, where my alcoholism meets your alcoholism, where your victories meet my victories. And uh, it is a piece of art, this place. And, uh, and it's it's uh, alive because of all of us. I've been gone for seven months and I don't recognize almost many of the people, which is great because this place is a living organism. It's important for you people, if you've never seen me, to keep coming back and keep this place special and alive. Um, um, let's see. The other thing that's helped me a lot, I remember I was kind of felt kind of flat after a couple of years of sobriety, and uh, and a friend suggested I go back to my elementary school and go check it out or find some place. And when you were happy, let's say it could for me it was when I was ten, and for anybody else it could be any other age. Or unfortunately, some people have never been happy. But so I remember when I was ten, so I drove up to Dallas, sober two years, and. Um, drove up to my lower school and it was four o'clock so all the kids are gone and I went through the door and I remember I could smell the school I'm sure all our schools have a smell but um, I remember first seeing all the notes on the walls saying like encouraging things kind of like what we have here um, but for kids and then I went, went up to the second floor to my fourth grade classroom and I sat down in my regular chair. And I remember in fourth grade, I used to just never learned anything, but I would stare out the window at, this, at the toll road and uh, the world outside is where I wanted to go. And to this field where we had um, recess. But what happened when I sat down there was I remembered who I was and who I, who I had been and what I had lost after uh, the onset of like adolescence or puberty. So when I was 10 years old, I was brave. I was innocent without being like, you know, naive. And uh, I was happy. I was courageous. I was inquisitive. I was strong. I was optimistic. And I was my own kind of self by then. And, you know, after that, Adolescent kicked in, adolescence kicked in, some dysfunction, you know, at home was happening. And so all these scales and things, these uh, things started happening and, and changed me. And, uh, you know, I became restless, irritable, and discontent by the t right after that. After about 11, 12, or 13, that's when I really needed that drink. 
that's where the restless, irritable, and discontent started. And so when I, no, no wonder when I found that first drink that I became intensely loyal to it. It saved me from that when I didn't really know how else to get, get out from under it. So, uh, so happily, um, I now have a place to go. It's not my inner child or anything. It's just me when I was younger as a goal and as a vision of, of who I want to be. And that person is much stronger than I, than I ever became as an adult. And so for me, I don't grow up in AA, I grow backwards. I grow back to when I was 10 years old and to be that, that person that's enthusiastic and not sarcastic or sardonic or ridiculous. Um, it also gets me to, to remember how ridiculous I did think adults were as a kid. And, uh, you know, some of our behaviors, I think, still are ridiculous. And so um, AA, AA is a safe place for me. It's where the world makes sense. And so, like I said about curating a life outside of here, I'm, I don't compromise on that outside of here. I'm fortunate to not have to be able to do that, but I take the principles or the vibes I get here and I demand that wherever I go. I make sure it's present in my relationships. If it isn't, then it needs to get fixed or, or, or improved. Um, and even like, as I go around town, if I don't like a place particularly, I, I just won't go back. Um, because you know what? I mean, I think we're, we're so lucky here. I always think of it almost like if, if you're into sales, then you would really like AA because it's like the best sale on life in history. <laughs> and there's no price to pay. I mean, what's the price other than not drinking? There's no neg negative thing that can happen from not drinking, from what I can tell. Um, I guess uh, I'll try to remember some other things to say. I can't, for some reason, have run out. One thing that was pretty amazing that I still can't believe is my primary relationship was with my dad, and it wasn't because uh, we got along, it was because we didn't get along, so he was a totem in my life that I always tried to rebel against, and uh, and that's difficult, you know, I uh, even when he wanted the what I thought, what would have been the right things for me to do, I would tend to do the opposite, you know, and uh, and my, uh, my own, uh, since I was a kid, I didn't have any other defense against him, uh, against my kind of anger. And what I did, uh, kind of cruelly, was I didn't really shit, let him be my dad. I didn't really share with him much. If he'd ask me what happened here or there or anywhere else, I'd kind of wouldn't give him an answer. And so I was able to make amends for that as he, uh, as I, went through the steps and um, and he was an alcoholic um, and then maybe six years into sobriety he called me and he goes uh, Steve you know what I'm going to stop drinking and I was like why he goes because I see how happy you are and I goes like I was like yeah well that's nice and uh, and I he never asked he never I never told him you know about a, how to do AA or anything like that he just did it on his own 
And it was just amazing because he then spent the last seven years of his life sober. And uh, I thought maybe he'd want a martini at the end or something. <laughs> but uh, he didn't even want that. And he would call me sometimes and tell me, you know, I'm watching this movie. I can't believe how much alcohol is in our society. And um, it was amazing because I know uh, as a son, he usually wants to be like his dad, and I didn't want to do that. But then in, somehow the way my life worked and the spirituality of AA and the <laughs> mystical way it works, a father ended up wanting to be like his son. And, uh, you know, now that he's passed, uh, I have started to appreciate him more, and it's okay to talk to him now, and I do in some ways want to be like him now. So the healing is pretty profound, or it can be, and um, I don't particularly pray. I remember saying my first prayer in rehab, which was, God help me, but not yet. But um, I do pray now. Um, I don't really have a higher power other than what I talked about. Um, the steps, I think, can be helpful. And um, I guess uh, I'm almost done. I didn't talk about, I guess I can talk about one other thing. Um, which I will. Um, I talked about that one party, the Playboy Mansion, but then I got to go to another party sober. I was maybe five years sober, and I was at Lincoln Center in New York, and I was on the stage because I just won an Emmy, and uh, and that was bizarre. Uh, we were sitting in the rafters when they called our movie's name, and I remember thinking and standing up like, this is pretty cool, and I want to enjoy it. Like, I could actually sit there and uh, feel it, and I didn't have to rush down. I remember saying, like, remember this feeling. So anyway, went down and got the award and stuff, and then, um, and then the then we were going. Then there was an after party, which, as a sober person, I still wanted it to be like a Van Halen video. Um, <laughs> I wanted a party and see see what would happen, but it was a PBS party. <laughs> and uh, yeah, um, so everybody. What did you win an Emmy for? Uh, it was a movie called Tower. But um, Tower. But uh, but anyway, I uh, I remember being really uncomfortable there that night, typically somewhat, and uh, looked on my phone uh, for a meeting in New York, and one came up. It was a midnight meeting in Soho on Houston, but it was at 2 a.m. because it was a Monday, I think it's for service people mainly. And I was all set, I was gonna go to a meeting that night. And, uh, but then I kind of sat there and I, it was my reflexive response to any kind of stressful situation was always to go to a meeting. And uh, I guess for once I decided, and I think it was a healthy decision, I said, no, I'm not gonna go to a meeting. I'm gonna sit here and hang out with the team of the movie uh, try to just settle down. I can just know I'm okay and stay here. And I did that and then walked across Central Park on a beautiful October 1st night. And then the next morning it was 
got up really early and went to a, just to a 7 a.m. meeting in New York. And uh, I remember I told them what had happened that night before, that I'd won an Emmy and that I knew that I didn't have to be embarrassed about saying that to them, that they wouldn't think I was like bragging or something because uh, I was like spinning up. I was uh, not emotionally sober and I wanted to get back to the place of serenity and I was not in that place. And uh, all I did was tell my what I said. Nobody cross-talked or said anything about it. And I left, and that was healing. And that's how, you know, AA works always for me. Um, hopefully I'll never leave AA. Uh, I do kind of have a second home group now in Maui. It's the Upcountry Sunrise, and there's also Upcountry Sunset. I still go to a lot of meetings out there. Um, but, um, you know, I think hopefully you can tell my heart and uh, soul were born here and, uh, you know, neither of those ever have to die. Thanks. Thank you.